AFF on Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast is boarding. Step on board for the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Your captain, Matt Graham, now invites you to sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. G'day and welcome to episode 95 of AFF On Air. It's the 15th of October 2022. Coming up in this episode, why British Airways' new Avios subscriptions could be extremely good value for Australians. And later, I'll chat to AFF Forum moderator Jessica Tam, who recently returned from a trip to Doha flying in Qatar Airways Q-Suites. We'll chat about, among other things, our favourite airline lounges, giving chocolates to the cabin crew, and Jessica will share her tips on flying with hand luggage only. But first, let's begin with a roundup of the latest Australian airline travel and loyalty program news from the past fortnight. And Qantas is giving 50% off one-year individual Qantas Club lounge memberships until Monday. If you're not currently a Qantas Club member, you can join for a year during this promotion for $399 Australian dollars, which happens to be the same price as a one-year Virgin Australia Lounge membership. And if you're already a Qantas Club member, you can renew for another year for just $270 until Monday. The Virgin Australia Lounge at Perth Airport is now once again staying open until the evening red-eye flights depart rather than closing at 6pm every day. The catering available in the evening will be limited though, with Virgin providing what it calls a light supper menu. Rex is introducing a new real-time bidding system for passengers to upgrade to business class on the airline's Boeing 737 jet services, and as an introductory offer, minimum bids will start from just $10. With Rex's Bid Up program, selected passengers booked in economy class will be invited seven days before departure to place a bid for an upgrade. And when departing within the next week, you can also check on the Rex website to see if your booking is eligible. Bidding will close three hours before departure, and you'll be notified if your upgrade has been successful between 24 hours and 90 minutes before departure. And at that time, any remaining unsold business class seats will be given to the highest bidders. If your upgrade is successful, you'll enjoy most of the usual benefits of Rex Business Class, including a larger seat, complimentary food and drinks on board, free Wi-Fi on some aircraft, priority boarding and lounge access where available. However, your original economy baggage allowance will still apply. Rex says that the bid-up launch is part of a series of passenger enhancements, its words, um, that will be rolled out in the lead-up to the airline's frequent flyer program launching. The airline says that it also plans to open a new lounge at Brisbane Airport soon and introduce a new neighbour-free seating product in economy, which is similar to the one that Qantas was trialling last month. Alaska Airlines, a member of the One World Alliance, has foreshadowed changes to its mileage plan program's award charts at the end of this year, and it's likely to be mostly bad news, unfortunately. Um, Alaska recently posted this update on its website, which says, and I'll quote, Starting late December this year, the way you view award charts online is changing. We'll have a simplified award chart to show you where award levels start based on which regions you're traveling from and to. With this change, similar to awards on Alaska, partner award levels may vary depending on multiple factors, including route, distance or demand. Um, That's the end of the quote. Now, given the current complexity of the Alaska Airlines award charts, which only allow you to redeem miles for flights on certain routes and uh, with quite wild variations in pricing between partner airlines, 
A simplification, as Alaska calls it, could actually be a good thing in some respects. And it's worth noting that Alaska hasn't actually updated its award charts in years, even after it entered One World last year. So this isn't, isn't a huge surprise. But it's highly unlikely that Mileage Plan will decide to retain all of those current sweet spots in its award charts, which make it such good value, um, you know, such as Cathay Pacific Business Class from Australia to Hong Kong for 30,000 miles, or Qantas First Class to Los Angeles for just 70,000 miles each way. Crucially, the wording in this announcement also hints that Alaska will be using dynamic award pricing for partner redemptions in future. Um, that's something that is uh, probably the most concerning part of this announcement. Um, when yeah, when redemption costs are, are not fixed and can vary according to demand, that's uh, that's not great. On the plus side, though, it is now possible to redeem mileage plan miles online on the Alaska Airlines website for Cathay Pacific flights, and online redemptions on LATAM Airlines is also coming later this year. IHG One Rewards, the loyalty program of Intercontinental Hotels Group, has launched a new gold and platinum status fast track offer. You can register for the IHG One Rewards status fast track promotion anytime between the 3rd of October and the end of this year, or until the offer is withdrawn. You will need to be an IHG One Rewards member to participate, which you can join for free, but you don't need to have any existing status with uh, with IHG or any other hotel chain. Once registered, you can earn IHG Gold Elite status by staying just two qualifying nights at IHG hotels by the 23rd of December this year. Or alternatively, you can upgrade to IHG Platinum by staying five nights by the 31st of December this year. For a short time this week, IHG was also giving instant Diamond Elite status to those who registered, although this offer appears to have been since withdrawn. From the 11th of October till the 31st of December this year, Hilton Honours members, meanwhile, can earn double night credits at any hotel or resort that's part of the Hilton portfolio. To take advantage of this offer, you would first need to register on the Hilton website. Hilton Honours members can qualify for elite status based on either the number of nights, stays, or base points, which is based on your dollars spend, earned in a calendar year. The double night credits offer will therefore make it easier for Hilton Honours members to upgrade or renew their status for 2022 um, if qualifying based on nights. The additional nights can also be rolled over into the next year where applicable, and existing hotel bookings with Hilton will qualify for this as long as you've registered and stay between the promotional dates. Many of the elite status extensions offered by frequent flyer programs due to COVID-19 are going to be coming to an end in the next few months, and for some airlines this will mean a sudden and significant reduction in the number of members holding status, or as some commentators have said, um, you know, the number of elite members in, in many frequent flyer programs will fall off a cliff. Now, there's been a live debate for some time, and it's something that um, we've covered on this podcast previously with, with a couple of guests uh, already about whether to continue extending the status of people who are no longer flying and when, you know, when this needs to come to an end. But with the end of 22 fast approaching, the time for debating is almost over and um, airlines are now being forced to make actually a decision. Um, Cathay Pacific has just announced on along those lines that it will provide another year of status extensions to Cathay frequent flyers, renewing everyone's status until the end of 2023, and that'll be the third consecutive uh, year of uh, of year-long status extensions offered by Cathay Pacific, which makes sense considering Hong Kong has only just recently reopened to quarantine-free travel. 
Cathay's also extending unused mid-status benefits, and to acknowledge its frequent flyers who had already completed the required actions to renew their status for next year before the latest extension was announced, Cathay will also arrange an as-yet-unspecified special reward for those people. In the same week, though, Delta Airlines in the US announced that from next year, it's going to make it harder to earn or retain status by increasing the minimum spend requirement. Delta has previously extended its existing medallion member status through to the 31st of January next year, but from next year, it is reverting to the normal um, status qualification requirements. Delta says that it's doing this in order to preserve and improve the customer experience for its most loyal members. In other words, it feels like it has too many people with status now and uh, and it's diluting the experience for everyone else. Um, and Delta says it's doing this on the back of unprecedented summer of demand for travel. Um, so clearly, clearly, I mean, the US airlines are in a different place to some of the Asian airlines, but it's interesting just to see the contrasting approaches there. And with many flights to Australia currently fully booked or even oversold, some airlines have been turning to desperate measures to encourage passengers to give up their seats. An AFF member booked to fly with Air Canada recently from Vancouver to Brisbane was given $2,700 to instead fly home via Hong Kong, arriving about 15 hours later. While Delta has been offering $1,500 per passenger to those willing to delay their trip from Los Angeles to Sydney by a day. Qantas 2 has recently been bumping passengers off flights from London to Australia, which have been completely booked out for the last several weeks. Qantas's offer has been £532, or just over $900 Australian dollars, as compensation for uh, flying the next day, as well as overnight accommodation and meals for the delay. That's what's making news on australianfrequentflyer.com.au this fortnight. You can stay up to date between podcasts by subscribing to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette to get the latest Frequent Flyer news straight to your inbox for free every Monday and Thursday morning. Well, for years already, it has been possible to buy Avios, which is the currency of the British Airways uh, Iberia and the now the Qatar Airways frequent flyer programs uh, at a cost. And uh, British Airways has also run regular promotions, such as one last month where they were offering a 50% bonus if you purchased any amount over 2,000 Avios. Now, it's possible to buy up to 200,000 Avios per year before bonuses, and then uh, you can redeem those Avios to fly on British Airways, any One World airline, and also on British Airways' partners Aer Lingus and Voiling, the low-cost carrier based in Spain. Now, this has been quite interesting and, and in some cases lucrative for Australian frequent flyers because um, obviously British Airways, through its One World membership, is a partner of Qantas. And redemptions with Avios on Qantas short-haul flights can be very good value. And so for years already, some, some savvy frequent flyers have been purchasing Avios with the 50% bonuses and then redeeming for Qantas domestic flights, even just on routes like Sydney to Melbourne, it can actually make sense um, depending on what the cash fare is to to instead buy Avios and then redeem them for those for those flights. And the overall cost of that is in many cases lower than just buying a ticket on Qantas. As an added bonus, by the way, if you are redeeming Avios or any other frequent flyer currency on a Qantas flight and you're in Qantas Points Club and put in your Qantas frequent flyer number into the booking, it is possible to earn status credits for that um, through like the what you would earn through Points Club. So it was very interesting to see earlier this week when British Airways announced it was launching subscriptions to buy Avios. 
Now, I've done the maths on this, and I'm actually quite pleasantly surprised about how good of a deal this could be for some people. So, when buying Avios from British Airways, the usual cost, uh, and it does depend on where your account is registered, but mine is uh, registered in, in Europe, so I'll just use euros as, as the example here. The full price of buying Avios, it works out to about 36 euros per thousand if you're just buying a thousand, and then uh, it gets cheaper as you buy more. But let's just say for 10,000 Avios, it works out to be just over 20 euros or around 31 Australian dollars per thousand. Now, that's at full price. If you get 50% bonus, the price obviously comes down. But then with the Avios subscriptions, it actually works out to be a better deal than buying with a 50% bonus. British Airways has four subscription levels that it's announced. There's the Voyager, which gets you uh, 20,000 Avios in a year. There's the Traveller subscription, which is for 50,000 Avios in a year. Explorer for 100,000 a year. And then the top level is Adventurer, which gets you 200,000 Avios a year, which is the maximum you can purchase in a calendar year. And the cost for those 200,000 Avios a year works out to be just over 2,000 euros, which is just over 3,000 Australian dollars, 3,110 to be exact when I, um, when I converted at the current exchange rate. That's the yearly price. You can also purchase a subscription where you're paying by the month. And you would get, um, you would have to pay each month with the yearly subscription. You get two months for free, so it actually works out to be a bit cheaper with the yearly one. And basically, so with the with the adventure, you get the two hundred thousand avios in a year that for two thousand nineteen euro. And so each month, one twelfth of that would be deposited into your British Airways Executive Club account. So that's sixteen thousand six hundred and sixty seven avios per month. That's enough. So with the 200,000 Avios that you would earn in a year, that's enough for 16 one-way Qantas business class flights between Sydney and Melbourne or on any route up to 650 miles in length. So that also includes things like Sydney to Brisbane, Melbourne to Adelaide, uh, and, and so on. Or 33 economy flights one way between Sydney and Melbourne or on any of those routes up to 650 miles uh, for travel on Qantas. And then in addition, of course, you'd still need to pay the taxes and carrier charges when redeeming those Avios. But on Sydney to Melbourne, for example, that works out to be around about 39 Australian dollars per flight. Now, I did the maths, and if you had the Adventurer uh, subscription, which is just over $3,000 a year, Australian dollars, to get 200,000 Avios in a year, once you take into account the cost of purchasing the Avios and the cost of the taxes when you make a redemption, it works out to be around 234 Australian dollars per Qantas business class flight between Sydney and Melbourne. I don't know about you, but I have not seen Qantas selling business class flights between Sydney and Melbourne for $234 um, or even anywhere near that any time in recent history. Um, last time I checked, the minimum price was about $777 on that route. So that's a very good deal. And then in, in economy, it works out roughly $120 per flight, including the cost of acquiring the Avios with the subscription and the cost of the taxes and carrier charges on the redemption, which is not uh, you know, not as amazing value. It is, it is possible to get an economy ticket for around that price or a little bit more when you're buying it, of course. But it can be good value if um, you're booking, you know, maybe a few weeks out or even a few days out and there's a ward availability, but the 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 actual airfares being charged by Qantas are over $200 or $300, um, even for economy, which they, they have been quite high lately. So when redeeming Avios for Qantas short-haul flights, any flight up to 650 miles would cost 6,000 Avios in economy or 12,500 Avios in business. So that's how I got those um, calculations that I just, that I just spoke about. 
Another sweet spot would be a route like Melbourne to Perth, which obviously is very expensive, if, particularly in business class, if you're going to be booking that with cash. But it works out to be 11,000 Avios in economy or 22,000 Avios in business class, which works out to be around about between four and $500 per flight to get uh, in Qantas business class between Melbourne and Perth if you used one of those Avios subscriptions, which again is, is really quite good value. Flights over 2,000 miles um, booked using, so 2,000 miles in distance, like Sydney to Perth, for example, is a bit over 2,000 miles. That is quite expensive when booked using Avios, so not really good value. And in general, long-haul redemptions using Avios are not great value. But again, the, the, but there are exceptions. One of those would be if you wanted to fly from Australia to Europe on Qatar Airways. And this is, this is again, uh, this is probably, the I would say, the most interesting part of all this. If you've been following recently, you might have noticed that Qatar Airways has now made it harder to access their award availability if you have Qantas frequent flyer points. And uh, we've noticed a similar trend with some other One World frequent flyer programs. It does look like Qatar is now limiting the um, the number of seats it gives, particularly in business and first class, to book using partner frequent flyer programs through the One World Alliance, like Qantas Frequent Flyer and American Airlines Advantage and things like that. So if you have Qantas points, you only now have access to Qatar Airways business award availability around four months out from departure um, at, at the most. If you have velocity points, you can access Qatar Airways economy business and first class award availability up to 330 days out from departure. But if you have Avios, so British Airways Avios or Qatar Privilege Club Avios, for example, you can access Qatar business seats up to 355 days in advance, which is the date that they're released. And um, there's in general, I've just had a look recently, and in general, there's two business class award seats being made available on every flight out of Australia and, and onwards to Europe or anywhere else you wanted to end up. And it costs 90,000 Avios plus around 240 euros, more or less. So it's about 350 to 400 Australian dollars in taxes and charges to fly yeah, Qatar Airways business class from Sydney to London, for example. If we just take a step back, with the Adventurer subscription, you get 200,000 Avios in a year for a cost of just over 3,000 Australian dollars. For a round-trip award from Sydney to London, for example, or Melbourne to Amsterdam or whatever it is, um, Australia to Europe, you'd be looking at around 180,000 Avios plus maybe $800 in taxes. A bit more if you're flying back from London, actually, because of the UK air passenger duty. Let's just say $1,000. So more or less $4,000. That's just an approximation, but that's for a return Qatar business uh, flight to Europe. And if you're booking around 355 days in advance, there is usually two business class seats available per flight. That is an excellent deal. I have not seen Qatar business class fares from Australia to Europe available for $4,000 for a very long time. Last time I checked, there were over $9,000 return for that. So if, if, you're, if you're buying a ticket, so that could be an excellent deal to purchase one of those Avios subscriptions. It's probably the cheapest way to acquire Avios short of applying like for a, a, a US or UK based credit card and getting a sign up bonus or something like that. The risk, of course, is that because it's a it's a subscription where the Avios are deposited monthly, it would take a full year before the, the full 200,000 Avios with an Adventurer subscription or the 100,000 Avios with an Explorer subscription would be deposited into your executive club account. And to access, to, to access the best availability on Qatar Airways, you would probably need to book about, you know, a year in advance, 355 days out from departure, which means that... Um, 
really, you know, you'd be looking at booking in about a year's time for travel about a year later than that. So probably, you know, looking at traveling in the second half of 2024 in that case. So there is a bit of a lead time there. And uh, so if, if you if you wanted to take advantage of the fact that there is availability through Privilege Club to fly Qatar Airways to Europe, it might be better for you just to purchase Avios during the 50% bonus um, and, and get... Um, pay a little bit more, but get access to those Avios now. But as a long-term thing, and as long as British Airways doesn't devalue its award charts, hopefully it won't. But I mean, that's never a guarantee. That could work out to be good value. And and just as a reminder, you can transfer your Avios between the British Airways Executive Club program, the Iberia Plus program, and also the Qatar Airways Privilege Club program. And they do have access to, like, they have different award charts as well. So if one of those programs devalues, but not the other, then you still have options to transfer your Avios at a a one-to-one rate. So, um, really interesting um, offer. It's um, I, I haven't seen something quite like this, which uh, which is actually potentially very useful to Australians for some time. So if you're interested, there is an article on AFF. It's called How to Buy and Redeem British Airways Avios. And there's a section there on the new Avios subscriptions and also a link to an AFF thread where this is discussed. But yeah, a really interesting offer, I think. If you're not already an Australian Frequent Flyer member, you're missing out on participating in Australia's largest online discussion forum for frequent flyers. The AFF Community Forum is a goldmine of useful resources on travel, loyalty programs, credit cards and so much more. You can learn and ask questions about frequent flyer points, discover unique travel tips by reading our members' trip reports, or even find a great wine deal. By becoming an Australian Frequent Flyer member, you don't just get to participate in our lively forums. You can also send messages to other AFF members, access exclusive AFF offers and services, and you'll see fewer advertisements when browsing the site. And the best part, joining AFF is 100% free. If you're not already a member, visit australianfrequentflyer.com.au forward slash register. I'm joined today on the podcast by AFF Forum moderator, Jessica Tam. Welcome back to AFF On Air. Thanks, Matt. Great to be here. Uh, Jessica, you recently uh, flew to Doha in Qatar Airways Q-Suites. I have personally, I've flown Qatar Business Class, but never in the Q-Suite, which is uh, one of the products that a lot of people you know, aspire to redeem their points for. Was it everything that it was that it's cracked up to be? Certainly, it was a very comfortable uh, seat, and uh, they've got some interesting configuration as half the seats face forward and half the seats face backwards. Um, but they were adjustable, and I was able to sleep quite well when I had it in lay flat mode. Yeah. So tell me about the Q suites. Like, there, it's a kind of a weird design where the window seats are facing backwards, and I think sort of every second seat is facing backwards, and there's like all sorts of things going on. So, um, did you, what, which seats did you try? Did you have a favourite? Well, I've tried both the forward and backward seats, and the reason they've got them in that configuration is that the footwells for each rear and forward seats are actually next to each other, so they're not a, a traditional herringbone layout that you might see perhaps on um, Finnair or uh, Cathay Um, and I'm not sure whether there's a definite advantage or not having the rear and forward facing seats next to the windows but certainly in the middle of the aircraft in the seats I haven't used the 
seats facing rearwards were actually quite close together so you could drop the divider and you've then got a easy way to converse and dine with your traveling companion and the two forward facing seats are further apart so there the seats themselves are actually closer to the aisles and if you're traveling with a business companion you can still drop the divider have a conversation but you're not sitting or sleeping right next to the person you're traveling with mm. and then when you put all four seats together, the two forward and the two rear facing, drop down all the dividers and you can actually see the passenger who is either in front or behind of you as well as the passenger next to you and the passenger diagonally opposite. So if you're a group of four people and they do advertise it as their family suite, Mm -hmm. you can have two parents or two children or a family or a group of friends. You close your doors to the aisle, which are just little sliding doors, and open up the dividers in between the seats and you've got a a four-person communal Sweet, as it were. So very functional in that respect. Yeah, I've, I've seen certainly the promotional shots where you have a family of four using the Q-suites, you know, to make it kind of a family room with the mum and dad and the kids. And, and I've also seen in the promo shots, you know, the, the business people having a business meeting in, at 40,000 feet. Did you actually see anyone having a business meeting on your flights to or from Doha? No, I didn't. Um, I hadn't sat in one of those middle seats. And Qatar Airways actually make it quite clear that if you're a single traveller, you're not able to even select those seats to make sure that they're available for couples or families who wish to travel together. And I guess at the last minute, if you wanted to take one of those seats that hadn't been allocated, you could. Mm. But in all my travels, I've seen... A couple of people travelling together use those seats, but I've certainly never noticed anything coming close to a business meeting (laughs) or even a group of four people using those seats. It's one of those things that I think sounds good in theory. I'm not sure how practical it is, but um, was the service good? Service service was excellent. I... When I travel, I do uh, select a vegetarian meal because there are some meats that I don't eat. So it was... uh, They were well on top of that. That was a good range of food for me it wasn't just limited to a uh, a very generic um catering mm-hmm. uh, so it was it was still personalized which was good the the menus um significant so there's a wide range of things to choose from um which i could have in fact chosen things from most of the courses to eat anyway a good range of wines uh, a champagne was a, a champagne that i hadn't heard of before but was quite pleasant to enjoy and i'm sorry I, I don't remember the name of it to be able to share that with you today the staff were attentive in business class the uh, cabin manager came and introduced themselves the flight attendant who was looking after me came and introduced herself as well as the um the senior cabin supervisor for the aircraft came and introduced themselves so by then i'd forgotten everyone's names but um they were they were more than happy to uh to engage in brief conversations and welcome me on the flight do they still have dine on demand where you can just choose anything from the menu anytime you want yes that was made clear on the on the menus uh, that are available in each seat so i could have had uh, breakfast first followed by dinner or dinner followed by breakfast uh, in each case i chose to eat uh, when i've flown i usually choose to eat when i'm boarding so that way i can get through a movie get through a meal and then i can just sleep and if i wake up i'll have breakfast if not uh, i'll sleep until they need to prepare the cabin for landing but they were quite amenable to different times for having uh, the different meals and it's 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 a huge distinction between just these little things that make it such a good airline just these little extra elements of the service and things 
So you you entered um, Qatar last week. Do they still have COVID entry requirements for, for travel to Qatar? They do, and that was there were a few little hurdles to get through to be able to enter Qatar. Although when I actually went through immigration, they didn't seem to want. Uh, to see all of the requirements that I've done, so maybe they'd been logged with my passport. But before boarding, so when checking in, I needed to show that I'd had a COVID PCR test within 48 hours of departure, um, and so that obviously has to be a paid uh, traveller's PCR test, which, depending on the country you're in, might be $100, might be a couple of $100. Then there was also a requirement to do a pre-entry declaration, and that gets linked to the passport uh, you need to have a, a handwritten form saying that you understand the requirements of COVID um, which I had and as well as on check-in they did ask uh, that I had a hotel booking so I was able to show them that I don't think that was obligatory because when I went looking for the hotel booking she did say oh look if you can't find it doesn't matter so I think just saying yes you've got somewhere to stay is appropriate Qatar no longer have any quarantine on arrival, uh, so I think the PCR test before departure makes up for that, so they know that people arriving have uh, have had that negative test result, and uh, there was no requirement for a uh, rapid test during my stay or anything like that. The app that I use, the Ahira's app, a little bit tricky for an Australian to get access to. I needed a bit of help in the train station. One of the attendants there provided a bit of help to get access. That then comes up with either a green uh, barcode, if you've already logged that you've had a negative test result or that you've been vaccinated. And one of the other requirements I had to show that I had uh, was fully vaccinated. And you can't access public amenities without that app showing that you're green. Right. So, so I wouldn't have been allowed on the train if I hadn't been able to get that app working. Oh yeah, a lot of a lot of countries had that maybe at the start of this year, but I, I'm surprised that um, that Qatar still has all of these requirements because most of the rest of the world has moved on. <laughs> but I guess for now that's the case. Yeah, they are certainly an outlier in that. Um, I wonder if that's still going to be the case when the World Cup's on next month. I'm not sure. Uh, not being a, a soccer aficionado, and I'm certainly not going to the World Cup. I have no idea on those requirements. Mm. One would think they'd like to reduce them to make it easier for people entering the country. However. That will be up, That's to them, up to them, of course. As other countries have have relaxed, that Singapore over the last six months has dropped any requirement. You know, you can come and go. The same with Australia. Yeah. So you landed in Qatar at about four or five o'clock in the morning, and obviously the hotel check. It's too early to check into a hotel then. But being a, a Q Suites or a business class passenger on Qatar Airways, you had access to an arrivals lounge. There, there was. Uh, the flight landed about an hour early, so at about four a.m. I'd pass through. Immigration, it was very quiet at that time of day too, so a great time to arrive. And headed to the Qatar Arrivals Lounge, and they weren't open at the time when I got there. There were staff at the reception desk, but the lounge itself was closed. So when I explained to them that I was a Qatar business class passenger and also a One World Emerald, they suggested that I head to a lounge at the other end of the terminal and I don't have the name of that lounge but I believe it was a more a commercial arrivals lounge uh, as part of the Qatar airport um, premium guest experience and after a bit of to and fro with the 
um, person at the door. Uh, they made phone calls, they checked with their supervisors and they allowed me in. So perhaps they were just confirming that they were able to charge my attendance to Qatar Airways because their own lounge wasn't open. It was a pleasant enough lounge if you don't have status and are willing to pay whatever the going rate was. There were some comfortable chairs, a dining area with a very limited selection, so some, some cold meats, some yoghurt, some bread, um, coffee from a machine uh, and various soft drinks available and you're allowed to stay there for up to six hours. They had good Wi-Fi, they had a couple of areas where you could um, get away and have a bit of privacy for a bit of a snooze on some recliners with uh, footrests and also I have to say my first uh, my first port of call was their shower which was excellent way to mm. um, refresh after a uh, 12-hour flight. Mm. I was recently lucky enough to join you, uh, Jessica, in the Qantas First Lounge in Melbourne, and you said to me that that was your favourite lounge in the world. Uh, why, why is that? I know it's a good lounge, but um, yeah, there's there's obviously a lot of good lounges. What's, what's special about the Melbourne Qantas Lounge? I've been really fortunate to, when travelling and, and make it up to One World Emerald, that I've got access to some of the premium lounges around the world. I'm certainly not an expert in all of them, but I find the standout for the Qantas F Lounge in Melbourne is that it's it's not too big. There are some very big lounges um, uh, on the planet and that one's still small enough, even though it does get very busy at, uh, at peak times, but it's small enough for the service to be personalised. Mm. There's only one dining area. Uh, there are three or four lounge areas plus a couple of quiet breakout areas, a little library cubicle, a little TV watching cubicle, so you can still get away from the hustle and bustle if you like to. The service is great. Um, it's all a la carte dining. Uh, they've got a good range of wines, a um, couple of champagnes to choose from. And I think it's a it's an, an excellent lounge for all those um, for all those things compared to the, the Sydney lounge. Obviously, the menu's very similar. The wines are very similar, but it's a little bit bigger. So you lose some of that personality that the Melbourne that the Melbourne lounge has. Yeah, I guess the trade-off though with the Sydney First Lounge is that excellent view over the Sydney CBD and the and the, and the runways as well. True, Sydney Sydney certainly beats Melbourne as far as the view. The Melbourne Lounge looks out towards uh, the north, so it only captures the last segment of a plane arriving or departure, departing from the north south runway. Mm. Are there any other airport lounges around the world that you have particularly enjoyed? Well, I've certainly enjoyed the well the Singapore lounges in Singapore. The business lounge is excellent if you're travelling in business. Uh, the first lounge and the private room. The private room is their, their premier lounge and you're only able to access that if you're flying in first class with select airlines. Right. That lounge, yeah, service is impeccable. Um, they've remodelled it recently so I haven't seen what the new lounge is like but the previous lounge had smaller areas with very comfortable booth type chairs that you could sit in if you were one or two people, um, quiet areas where you could make and receive telephone calls, a separate dining area, again with a la carte dining, and if you didn't want something that was on the menu, they would be more than happy to make anything off the menu that they could uh, resource, because the kitchen is is a fully functional kitchen that will effectively make everything for you. My personal favourite lounge is the Turkish Airlines Lounge in Istanbul. Have you been to that one? I have. I've been there a couple of times prior to the new airport terminal opening so I am referring to the lounge that was available up until a couple of years ago and that really is an excellent lounge I was able to access that because I was traveling in business class with Turkish Airlines but also Star Alliance Gold members are also 
able to access mm. it. The lounge was massive. It was over two stories. Yeah. There was a tree growing from one floor up to the next, um, a grand piano uh, in the mm. lounge. Mm. And a couple of things I really liked were that, not that I play golf, but there was an area where there was a golf simulator, so you could have a bit of a hit. Uh, there was a Scalectric's race car track, um, and I think we both agreed there, range of kitchens and food is second to none. Oh my goodness, yes. And the roaming massage therapist? I missed that, although I, <laughs> I, I did manage to grab hold of the, the roaming uh, drinks trolley. Oh, so right, you could right. still, they had a, a wide range of uh, drinks available. You didn't have to go looking for the bar. Yeah, and like they had, you know, live cooking stations with Turkish food. And I love Turkish food anyway, but, um, and, you know, Turkish coffees and cakes and all sorts of, um, it was almost like a little, like a mini holiday in Istanbul while you wait for your next flight. It was just just really nice. And, and if you've got, I believe if you've got a long layover, they even give you like a sort of a mini hotel room with a shower and a bed for your transit. In the past year, they do have little, um, little, just relaxation rooms that are available. I wasn't ever able to access those, but if you were, um, if you went in and put your name down when one was available, they'd let you know. When I transited Turkey the last time, it was more than eight hours was my minimum transit that I was able to get for the flight connections. So Turkish Airlines provided me with a transport, a hotel room, and then transport back to the airport within oh, that eight or nine hours, although I had to pay for the visa to enter the country, which was... About $70 at the time. Yeah, well, that's okay. So when you flew back from Doha recently, I guess you would have also got to visit one of the Qatar Airways lounges. Um, which, which one did you visit and how was that? Well, in Doha, Qatar, it's a little bit confusing. They have a number of lounges. Uh, they sneakily get around the One World rules for providing a lounge for One World Emerald and One World Sapphire, or Qantas Platinum, Qantas Gold, members by having separate lounges for your status apart from lounges based on your class of travel so i've traveled in business class so i had access to and apologies for the pronunciation i've had access to the al morjan lounge which is for business class passengers in fact when i went to the one world emerald lounge i was told at the at the door that i'd be better off at the business class lounge because Mm. it was a better lounge Mm. so they really don't treat the one world alliance passengers perhaps as well as uh, their own passengers in their class of travel Mm. there's also a first lounge their al safwa lounge i tried to get access to that because i was emerald but no go it was only for first pay to upgrade to the al safwa lounge for about 120 us dollars or something at the door but which i'm not going to i'm not going to um pay for so i've I've been in the one world emerald uh lounge it was it was nice enough uh if you're an emerald certainly not at the level of a melbourne or sydney Qantas f lounge um and the al morjan or their business class lounge again is over two floors it's very large lots of seating areas uh downstairs and upstairs they'll bring drinks to your uh to your seat and upstairs there's a dining area with a buffet um and a fairly wide range of foods catering from the middle eastern to asian to european tastes so pastas and the like uh and a good uh, a good range of beverages to choose from as well yeah it's interesting how qatar airways has done this because normally as a one world emerald member which would be you know Qantas platinum or, or the equivalent with other one world airlines you would get access to the first class lounge but uh and, and likewise if you've got Qantas gold or the equivalent you'd get access to the any any one world business lounge but yeah not in not in doha it's an exception to those rules because they've got i think they've got about six lounges in in in, in, in doha airport so 
Um, that's quite interesting. Uh, Jess, you mentioned to me that um, for all, all of your trips, and even, even trips spanning, you know, several weeks traveling overseas, you only take hand luggage. So you never check in a bag, pretty much. Um, I guess, firstly, why, why do you do that? But secondly, do you have some tips for people to be able to travel for several weeks with just hand luggage? Well, to be able to do that, uh, I find the advantages outweigh the disadvantages, and there certainly are some disadvantages. And that is that when the door to the aircraft opens, you're master of your own destiny to be able to leave the airport. And if it's domestic, you're just walking straight through the airport, you're at the taxi rank, you're back at your car, or you're on the bus very quickly. If it's an international one, generally you're not going to be caught up at the luggage carousel. So once you're through immigration, instead of stopping and waiting for two, three, five, thirty minutes, you're you're first at customs as well. So first outside, and for those smaller airports, you, you're getting one of those cabs that might be a rare thing. Um, so you're at the front of the front of the queue. Another great advantage of it is that. A couple of times I've been in an airport, I've been in, been in the lounge, uh, there's been a flight delay or there's been a, um, a problem with an aircraft. I can go up to the counter and say, look, I'm happy to take mm. a different flight. Um, if this one's delayed, can I, can I fly forward, which some airlines uh, offer to their premium passengers? And the first, their first question is, have you got a check bag? Because mm. as soon as I've got a check bag, it's a lot harder to move people because they've got to find the bag in the system. Absolutely. And change aircraft. So I... Pick up, I show them my bag and I say, no, I'm self-contained and off I go. The other advantage, of course, with hand luggage only is everything I need is with me at all times. So if a bag goes missing uh, or it's delayed and turns up on the next flight, I'm not disadvantaged by not having clothes or battery charges or medication or, or the like. So do you have some tips for people who uh, might, might think, well, you know, that sounds good, but... How can I possibly travel for two or three weeks without a checked bag? How can I, you know, I, I need I need more things than I can fit into a carry-on. It is possible, and it's taken me a while to refine how I do it. The biggest disadvantage, perhaps, is that you're limited to the liquids you can carry in your carry-on luggage, and with the liquid and gels requirements or lags requirements, each item can be no more than 100 mils. So if you've got toothpaste or moisturiser or shampoo and the like, they've got to be in small travel containers. As far as toothpaste, the tip I use is that quite often when you're travelling, if you get a little amenities kit, there'll be a small toothpaste in that. So I'll hang on to that and that goes in my toiletry bag and that will last me quite a few days. If you've got fortunate access to a lounge, you can ask at the front desk if they've got a toothbrush and toothpaste. I just say, oh, I forgot mine. They'll give you one and that should have another small toothpaste in it, which you can use. So that's one of those liquid advantages. Staying in a hotel, I've uh, uh, quite often taken the little bottles of shampoo, conditioner and moisturiser and used them. Uh, If you've got a favourite moisturiser, empty out that little bottle and fill it with your own and that's one of the things I do before I travel is to make sure that my little containers are um, are full. The liquids is probably the trickiest thing so it also means though that you can't take a bottle of wine or or if you buy a bottle duty free for your travels um, the next flight you've got to give it up so you're, you're limited in, limited in those um, so I do admit that. As far as other tips when I'm travelling for multiple weeks, and usually for the longer trips, I'm in multiple time zones and climates, so I'll always carry a jacket for the coldest part of my trip. So if I'm going to Northern Europe in winter, I'll have my big heavy jacket. Um, I'm currently 
travelling around uh, New Zealand, so I've got a, a medium weight jacket. That gives me a little bit of help because I can pop telephone and um, you know wallet and things in there as well, so it helps take the weight out of my bag, which will have a kilogram weight limit. Sometimes it's 7 kilos with uh, the low-cost carriers. It might be 10 kilos uh, with the Qantas or Doha, um, Emirates or Qatar Airways, for example. To keep under that limit, I carry enough clothes for about a week, but I also make sure I allocate some time in my itinerary to find a laundromat or do some washing in the hotel. Uh, I might just wash my um, smalls in the in the sink, and if I'm there for a couple of days, hanging them up in a hotel room, they usually dry uh, pretty quick. The um, power adapters and things, instead of taking lots of plug packs for all the different electronics, I try and rationalise that. So I've got one main power adapter for my laptop, and then I can plug USB cords into my laptop to charge them. So sort of use things multi-purpose and that means I'm limiting the weight um, of things I carry. Sometimes I'll take a camera, in which case I'll choose a generic lens, a zoom lens, instead of taking lots and lots of lenses, for example. And again, I can charge the camera using a USB cable, so I don't need a separate battery charger for the, um, for the, for the camera. Um, I have a lightweight laptop, it's about a kilo, um, and Again, that keeps the weight down, uh, so I'm not carrying a great big two or three kilo super wide screen um, laptop with me. Yeah, that, those are some really great tips. Um, just finally, you um, mentioned to me that you often give like a little gift to the cabin crew when you're flying. Um, I guess, firstly, uh, what, have, what have you decided to gift to uh, you know to use as a gift, and 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 why have you decided to do that? I started doing that quite a few years ago when I heard another AFFer did it as a matter of course. So I thought, well, that's just a nice idea to uh, to give to the the cabin crew, the you know the pilots, the tech crew. They get all the glory for flying the planes and being super clever. But the cabin crew, they're the ones that I'll be looking to when you hear that funny little bang or a, or a crash from the aircraft or the captain comes over and says, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a problem. The cabin crew are the ones who are going to be looking after me and making sure that the uh, passengers can get out alive, as it, as it were. So I, I think that deserves a little bit of recognition that they're not just a waiter or a, uh, someone who clears your table and uh, makes your bed. I give the flight attendants chocolates. Uh, the ones that I usually pick are the Ferrer Rocher brand because they're in a plastic container that's sealed and it's clear plastic. So uh, if they were a bit nervous about getting a little box of something from a passenger, they can see that they are actually the chocolates inside and they haven't been tampered with. Uh, they um, I usually get a pretty good response from the staff too during the flight. Uh, some One of the staff members from down the back or up the front will come and tap me on the shoulder and say, gee, thanks very much for the chocolates. That's never happened before. Uh, although I did once have a cabin crew member who I had encountered before with Qantas, and as I was walking down the jet bridge, she spotted me, and then I could actually see her trying to look to see if I had something in my hands. <laughs> as it turns out, I did, because I find the best time is just... I give them a little, the little box of chocolates as I'm boarding. Um, it, it means then I've, I've given it to them. Uh, there's certainly no... I have no expectations that they're going to return the favour. Um, and being a one-world emerald sitting in economy, occasionally I'll get a, um, a nice glass of wine or a glass of champagne or um, an extra tidbit, which is 
nice, uh, whether it's because of the chocolates or because that I'm One World Emerald, I couldn't say, um, but I just think it's a nice thing to do. Yeah, no, that, that's great. And I was going to ask you about the etiquette. So you think during boarding is the best time to do that? It's easy then. I just yeah. I just say, you know, here you go, happy Friday or whatever the day of the week is, uh, or I'll say a little something to share. They can pop them aside, eat them when they like. If they're on a long flight, mm. um, they can enjoy them then. If I give them to them at the end of the flight, well, then they've got something they have to deal with when they've already packed up the cabin and they're ready just to mm. get out, go to the next flight or head to their transit hotel or what have you. So. Well, that's a really nice idea and a nice end to an interesting chat. Thanks very much, Jessica Tam, for joining me again on AFF on Air. No worries. It's been a pleasure. Well, that's almost all for this episode of AFF On Air. Before I go, I have a quick update for listeners who've requested to listen to this podcast on Overcast, on that podcasting platform. After last fortnight's episode, I did speak to our IT team and they fixed the problem, I believe. So if you would like to listen on Overcast, it should be available. You might have to manually um, add add the URL for this podcast, but it should be available now to listen on Overcast. So... Um, yeah, the good news for those people who like Overcast. Well, thanks again to my guest, Jessica Tam, and thank you very much for listening. For more information about anything discussed in today's episode, check out the episode notes. Here you'll also find a link to the AFF on Air discussion thread on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum, where you're welcome to discuss the podcast or ask me a question to be answered in a future episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd take just a minute to review AFF On Air on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform to receive every episode as soon as it's released. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. And until then, safe travels. Listener.